Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. morning. Thank you for saying good morning. Make me feel more at home up here. I am your preacher today. I know I don't get up here very often. Um, so last week we um, told you what the word of the year was and it is engage. And Chad talked about, about his stories with, with gears and the whole concept of in, being engaged is gearing into action. It's gearing for something and gearing up for something. And so when I think of the words gears, I don't think necessarily the way Chad does. I think of my bike when I was younger. And so when I was younger, I don't know if you ever had an experience like this, but I was riding along. I lived, I grew up in Mount Forest, this little wee town where you could get from like one side to the other in a 10 minute bike ride. Yep. I hear, I see some thumbs up. And you know, when I grew up, it wasn't so much like, where are you going? Be back in five minutes or I'm coming after you. Like that's the way we parent right now. Right. But back then it was like, I was gone for the day, like biking. It was just, you know, freedom. And I remember biking along one day and all of a sudden, like a st- perfectly straight road, nothing in sight, enjoying the moment. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I feel a tug. And all of a sudden, the bike is on top of me and I'm laying on the ground on my back. And what happens? My pant leg gets caught in the gear. Anybody else have that happen to you? Not fun, right? That is not supposed to happen. And so, you know, back then, I I think it's not cool. Well, now we have skinny jeans, right? So you don't need to do this. But like when like straight legs or even bell bottoms were in, you'd like wrap. (laughs) Remember like wrapping? This is how big pants were. Wrapping my pants around and like tucking them in my socks. It was a real, it was a real fashion statement. It was awesome. Um, So we learned how to make that not happen. Um, Or biking across town and being far away from home and your chain falls off, right? Anybody? And, and the worst and the most frustrating thing about that was I didn't know how to fix it. Now, part of that might've been that I didn't want to get dirty, right? Like very possible. The girly in me said, keep your grease to yourself. I'll take this home. And so somehow I would have to like depending on the destruction of the, the gear, I would even like pick up my bike or you'd walk it home or carry it home because I didn't know how to fix it. And my dad was the only one who knew how to fix it. So I'd get it home so that my dad could fix it. So um, life can be like that sometimes, can it? Everything seems to be going just fine. And then all of a sudden we get knocked off our game and we just don't know how to get back up. And so Chad talked about getting into action. And this week, um, I want to be... So over the next couple of months, we're going to be talking about engaging with God, engaging with community, engaging with church, and engaging with others. Today, I'm going to focus mostly on engaging with 
with God. Um, so when I looked up the word in the dictionary, to engage, it meant to participate or to become involved in. It's an action word. It's something where you don't sit back and let it happen to you or hope that something happens. But engaging is, all right, it's time for me to gear into action. When I looked it up in the Bible, it, listed, it was listed 51 times. The two most prevalent topics that was used in was, number one, engaging in battle. And the second one was not engaging in sin. And when I put those two ideas together, and I, when, I, when I put it in the context of our topic today, which is engaging with God, I get the idea that as we set into motion our relationship with God, that there just might be a bit of a battle ahead of us that we need to be aware of. And one major roadblock to our relationship might be sin or those things that God is not wanting us to engage with. And so here's a battle ahead. He's saying, all right, gear up and don't gear or don't engage in this. Um, I think of it kind of like bike gears. We get saved. All is going well. We've given up some of our old habits. We've given up some of our sin and started a new life with Christ. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it almost seems like it's out of nowhere. We get tripped up, possibly with some of the old sins that we've had. Or maybe we've gotten rid of all of those things, but we find ourselves in new battles. Maybe it's relationally. And, and I think that sometimes all of these topics are going to combine a little bit. We're talking about um, ultimately a relationship with God, but anybody know that when you put community and others in your life, it gets messy, right? Sometimes that's the biggest battle ahead of us. And maybe there's some judgments there. Maybe there's some unforgiveness and some bitterness and we get bogged down and kind of like that bike those things become that pant leg in our gear where we find ourselves on our backs going, how did I get here? And how do I get out of this? Because I seem a little bit disengaged from God right now. And I'm not exactly sure how to fix it. So we're going to read about someone whose gears got knocked off and they need their father to fix it. So such a great story. We all know it. Turn to Genesis 1. So we're going to do Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then flipping down to verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So I want you to say, I am very good. God thinks I'm awesome. He does. 
And then we, of course, know the rest of or the story continues. We know the rest of the story. God tells Adam to work the land, to take care of it. God gave him the fruit of all of the, all of the garden, but one. And he says, don't eat of the fruit of good and evil. Then God designed Adam to take um, dominion over the animals, over the land, to name them. But God realizes, oh, I think that's a big task. So I'm going to give you a helper. And so Genesis 2.18 says, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Chad, just want you to know that I was designed to complete you. <laughs> See, Chad gets to use me as a sermon illustration. And so this is few moments in my life where I get to now turn that around. We actually have a, a mug that somebody gave us, and um, it says, I'm a pastor. Whatever you say at this meal might be used against you um, as a sermon. And so be careful if you ever come over to our house. <laughs> and it's true. I don't have to say anything. It's, yeah. So don't talk to him about some of the stories after this message because there is probably more to the story that I'm not willing to share. <laughs> but it's okay. I got a awesome husband for that. All right. So Chad, he says, the Lord says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. Verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Verse 22, then the Lord God made the woman from the rib and he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Verse 25, um, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And that's the scripture verse that I want you to tuck into the back of your mind and not forget because we're going to come back to them. They felt no shame. We're going to keep going though. Now is the nitty gritty stuff. Genesis 3. So verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the uh, trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit from the tree was, for good, uh, was good for food and was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband. We're just not going to, like, get into that part of things. Uh, we'll just say that I'm just a wonderful helpmate. <laughs> um, I got lost. She didn't go off. Um, she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. But he was with her. And he ate it. He could have stopped her, but he didn't. They were in this together. They're partners. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, and he was walking among the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God, God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. 
And it continues on where God says, well, how do you know you're naked? But today I want to specifically talk about engaging with God. But there's several things that I get out of this scripture passage um, really quickly. First thing that I see is that, that Adam and Eve had perfect communication with God. They had a perfect relationship with God. I think the thing that when I see this, where it says um, um, that God was just walking amongst the garden in the cool of the day and just called out to them, something inside me is like, yeah, that's what our relationship with God was intended to be. It was intended to be a relationship where we walk together, that we're close, we hear God's voice, he speaks to us, like that's beauty, right? And so here's this relationship with God that is perfect. He actually made humans to, in his image. It was the only creation that he made that was like him. And it was, pers- it was, it was uh, done so that he could be in relationship with them because he's just like them. So then... Sin entered their relationship. So, or we could say the pant leg in the gear that threw them off. Disobedience and sin entered the relationship. Sometimes there might not be an outright sin. You might think to yourself, I have not murdered anybody today. I may have wanted to, but I have not murdered any today. Pat on my back. But God takes it a little bit further. Sometimes there's a a disobedience. Has God asked you to do something and we have not? God still sees that. This sounds like a really downer sermon. I am so sorry. There is an up road. Just stay with me, okay? Number three, then came shame. This word, and I think that the greatest tragedy of all is that they tried to hide from God. They had perfect union with God and they hid from him. It blows my mind that they had what, what we physically can't see, and they gave it all away because Satan lied to them, and they believed his lie. Satan, Satan tried to get them to believe that they were missing out on something, that they couldn't have everything. You know, my favorite part of cake. Somebody, I was at somebody's house. I was at Elaine. Jones's house yesterday and it was her birthday cake and she she's like you know there's a lot of icing on there you we might scrape that off and I'm like you can have my cake I'll eat your icing so when I hear that term you know you can have your cake and I and eat the ice or you can have your icing I don't know what's that word what's that phrase you can have your cake and eat the icing too I'm like oh throw away the cake give me the icing so that phrase is like yes I get the icing too they had it all but they couldn't eat from one thing. And Satan tried to say, oh, he's holding it. He's holding things out on you. And I think sometimes people go into Christianity and they're like, whoa, look at that big list of don'ts. And they don't look at the bigger list of do's and the fact that they have God right there that they could speak to. But their focus isn't on the whole garden. Their, their focus is on the one tree. And our focus sometimes hasn't been on, whoa, I have this relationship with God that I can have, and, and look at the blessings that I have. Look at everything that he has for me. We're looking at, hey, look at this Ten Commandments. Yeah, oh, really? What a bummer. 
But God's like, your eyes are on the wrong thing. And so Satan deceives us into thinking we're missing out. And Satan deceived Adam and Eve into thinking that they were missing out. And they gave in and they gave it all away. And then I'm going to take back that thought where I said they were, um, he said he created Adam and Eve and they lay beside each other. They were naked, but there was no shame. Shame is defined as the feelings associated with, but not limited to failure, public exposure, disgrace, embarrassment, social rejection, ridicule, and dishonor. It's interesting and tragic that Adam and Eve hid before God because this is what shame does. When we know that we've done something wrong, we often try to stay out of sight in order to be in order to avoid being disgraced. We don't want to be told that we've been disqualified. Not a, nobody wants to like train for a marathon and be disqualified. That's, a, that's not a nice word. We don't want to get caught and somehow think that, that if people, or we don't want to get caught and somehow we think that if people can't see us, you know, that they can't send their disapproving glances our way. You know, when, um, if you're ever babysitting a child or when you were a child, um, if I was afraid at night, you know, if I pulled the covers over my head, if I can't see anything out there, they must not be able to see me, right? Or they close their eyes. It's like, if I can't see you in the same way, like as adults, if we hide or if we hide from God, he can't tell us that anything that we've done is wrong. So they hid from God, but the plot continues as God had to discipline Adam and Eve. He cursed the serpent, and he had to live a life, you know, crawling on the ground. He cursed Adam. He had to toil. He had to sweat for his work. He cursed Eve. This is where all the women who have ever done childbirth say, mm, you know, um, they, they had to have pain in, in their childbirth. And then the most tragic thing is that he drove them out of the garden, and they could not return can you imagine being God? He created them to walk with him in the garden. Like this was his seventh, like his sixth day creation. And he rested going, oh, I put the cherry on the top. That was my best creation. And he had to send them out of the garden. How that must have grieved him. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. The thing is that God wanted to communicate, though. So he got creative. He's like, okay, my, my kids, they're not in the garden. I can't walk with them. I can't see them face to face because there's sin there. So I've got to get creative and find different ways. So he sent prophets and he would try to speak through to them. As, and a lot of the prophets were trying to say, get sin out of your life. Turn from God. They all thought they were crazy. They wouldn't listen. He, there was, um, through the Old Testament, this is like Cole's note of the salvation message, okay? Really quickly. So they had to, um, they had to sacrifice. They had to sacrifice animals. They had to sacrifice perfect lambs in order uh, to appease um, and have forgiveness of their sins. Priests uh, were the only ones that could go face to face with God. And so they would go into the Holy of Holies. Um, but God, but that still wasn't good enough for God. 
God wanted to find a way again to communicate with and save his creation. So he sent his only son, the perfect sacrifice, to die for them once and for all. Hebrews 9 verse 26 says, Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So when Jesus died on the cross, and I, I kind of refer to this a, a lot when I have a chance to share, because I think it is fascinating. Here is the priest who have to go through the veil. Now, in my research, that veil was three feet long, or feet, three feet deep, wide. It was long, it was tall, but three feet. It was several, um, several layers and layers and layers of material, and the, actual, the priest would actually have to kind of go through a little bit of a maze to get into the Holy of Holies. This is the wall or the great divide that was between God and his people. And the only person that could go in there was the priests. When I think about that, and I think about even today, there's certain people um, and, and, and situations in their life where they're like, you know, I got to go through a pastor. I got to, you know, I can't go to God myself. And what happened when Jesus died is he didn't just make it available for us to have eternity with him. Can you imagine being the priest and all of a sudden this three feet deep veil splits in two? Like what would cause that? Only a work of God. But, but the coolest thing is that God was, he needed something tangible and huge to communicate to people, my time of separation with you is over. I want to communicate with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I have sent my son, Jesus, to die for you so that you can have perfect union again with me. And not only that, he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, to awaken our spirits and to speak to us. And to, to what is the, the Holy Spirit? They're our guide. He's our counselor. He's our peace. He's living in us. He actually took it a step forward or a step more. Jesus or God wasn't just walking around. He is in us now. His voice is in us. He is speaking to us. Isn't that incredible? Can we have an amen? Yeah. So we have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. But did you know that Satan is still working hard to bring that sin and that shame between us? And I love how God moves because um, even just that word that we had from Pastor Chad in, in worship before that God, you know, he wants us to have our, our identity as a children of God is so incredible because Satan wants to lie to us. And the thing is, is that he can get us to believe that we've done too much to have God love us. Then he actually still wins. It, listen to this. It doesn't really matter. Okay, bear with me. Let me finish my sentence. It doesn't really matter if we truly are forgiven. If we believe that we aren't. And do you know Why? Because our shame is still making us hide from God. And oftentimes that belief 
also makes us run from God and run into the very sin that is actually entangling us because we believe that we are bad, not our action is bad. And when we start believing that we are bad, that our identity is bad, who really wants to, to speak to a God that you're not quite sure what he's going to say to you, right? That you're not sure if he's going to say that you've done too much. He's not going to, you're not sure if he's about to say that you're disqualified. You're not sure if he's about to say that you are unlovable or that you're just not worthy or that you haven't done enough. That's a big one, isn't it? That we haven't done enough to earn God's love. Like the, when we're thinking, so next week we're starting hearing God. And when I was prepping for this, um, you know, the sky was the limit on what to preach on. And I was like, oh, Jesus, God, help me. I don't, there's a lot I could preach on. And often when I preach, I preach long. This is not a good thing. Um, but I thought, all I thought was, what stops people from hearing the voice of God? And if I could in any way prepare them for the Hearing God seminars so that they can receive, it's two things. We got to get stuff out of our lives. And number two, we have to believe that we are forgiven and that God loves us so that we can receive what he wants for us. So I want to tell you what the Bible says about who he says he is, God is, and who he says that you are. Psalms 103 verses 11 to 13 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving devotion for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Isaiah 61 verse 7 says, Instead of your shame, that word, that word that causes you to hide, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Psalms 32 verse 5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not hide my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Nobody wants to, to go into the presence of God, face to face with God, if they think that God is an unforgiving, harsh God, and say, here are my sins, Lord. Because you're afraid that you're going to be smited with, you know, like lightning. But when you know that you serve a God who's gracious and forgives, the key is, it's not if you sin. It's when we sin. Because has, any, has anybody noticed that they have skin on? Yeah, you got skin. Like if you pinched yourself, would it hurt? Do you know what that means? That means that you're human. And it means that we're going to mess up. Because if we were perfect, Jesus wouldn't have to have come and died for us. Because we are imperfect, when we sin, the quicker and the quicker and the quicker we get 
to being able to say, God, I sinned. Would you forgive me? The quicker we can have that perfect union with God again. And so that's why discipline in our relationship with God and and our devotions is so important. By the in the morning, you're saying, Jesus, help me. Help me to make the good decisions. And at the end of the day, you say, Oh, that was okay. And then I hit a bump and then I, you know, got my, you know, pant leg got caught in the gear there. God, would you forgive me? And God says, Absolutely. Let's do this again tomorrow together. That's what a relationship with God should look like. Um, so we live in a world where we don't want to talk about sin, right? Have you noticed that? We don't really want to talk about sin anymore. We want to talk about a loving God who accepts us just the way we are. But the truth is that he loves us too much to leave us that way. And he wants to have a relationship with us and to be with us for eternity. And the truth is that there are consequences to our sin. Um, that's why I love this scriptures that says I did not hide my iniquity or sin, but I confessed them and I forgave them. But when you only take the fact that God gives consequences to sin and you don't believe and receive for yourself that you're forgiven and that you can change, that's where hopelessness comes in. Have you ever seen a, um, somebody who got saved and then they got tripped up and we're talking about, you know, being engaged with God and they are not engaged with God. They are on their back going, I don't know how to get going again because I have messed up too much. The problem of what has set in without the understanding that God is so good is that hopelessness has come in. And the word hopeless is all connect, also connected to the word powerless. Such an interesting word because in the words of Danny Silk, is we, God actually created us to be powerful people. He wanted us to make a difference in the world. He wanted us to make a difference in our family and our lives. When our identity is victim, we are not powerful, are we? So powerless is defined as devoid of strength or resources, lacking the authority to, and capacity to act, and was powerless to help. The synonym for powerless is paralyzed. And that's where you find yourself going, I've done too much. I might as well go the other direction. I don't know how to do anything. And you find yourself or somebody that you know that you may know going, I don't know how to move forward. When we're paralyzed, it's often because we feel too weak to do anything about it, or we've failed too many times to think that change is possible. Did you know that one of my favorite words is actually starting to become weak? The word weak. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, he answered me. I love this translation. I am all you need. I guide you my loving, I give you my loving favor. My power works best in weak people. Isn't that awesome? Like if you want God to shine, like give him the weakest person. Because we were meant to glorify God and not ourselves. So if you are finding yourself weak or in a situation where you're like, man, oh, be, you know, be like Paul. I boast in my weakness. This is awesome. God's going to look really good with me on this one. That's where we're supposed to be. 
He says, I'm happy to be weak and have trouble so that I can have Christ's power in me. I receive joy when I am weak. I receive joy when people talk against me, when it's hard for me, and people try to hurt me and make trouble for me. I receive joy when all of these comes to me because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I know that some of these things aren't because of hardships or any of those things. It's maybe self-induced. We've done something or whatever. But God doesn't change. The scripture's still the same, that when I am weak then I am strong and God's power is made perfect in me. And then I love this scripture, Zechariah 4, verse 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Second Chronicles 32, verse 8 says, with, his, uh, with him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 no temptation has, however, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Our relationship with God is a partnership. And I think sometimes when we think that we get into, you know, we, be, we become a Christian and, 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 and we ask God into our heart, it's going to be smooth sailing. It's like, awesome, made some good choices. You know, God's in my life. Um, you know, got some sin out. It's going to be smooth sailing. But just like we've been saying, we have an enemy who hates your future and who hates the thought of you going to heaven and is working really hard to sh- hard to shame you, is working really hard to trip you up, is working really high to get you to believe so you don't receive all that God has for you. He wants you to believe the lies that he has for you. So here's the thing. We can have as much of a relationship with God as we are willing to believe for, to lean into, and to clear a pathway for. There was a, a, a period of my life just where... God was asking me to, to deal with something once and for all. Some bitterness and some unforgiveness had set in, and he showed me a picture of my heart. And it was just all clogged with this unforgiveness, this bitterness, this judgment, this anger. And the, thing, the people that I wanted to love the most and I was having a hard time loving for some reason, and I don't even, I didn't even know why. Why am I having a hard time, like, with love? And then, and then there's God in there, and God was just saying to me, this is your heart. You've got stuff in there that, that you don't have any room for me, God, and you don't have any room for love for others because there's a whole lot of other muck and mud that's in there that I need to clean out of you. And I started repenting and I started asking God just to clear that away. And that's why I say we can have as much of a relationship with God as we want, as we lean into, and as we clear room for. There has to be a clearing of room so that we can hear from God and he can speak to us. So let me ask you a question. If you were to look into your heart, what would, you, what would your heart look like? Would you find, and again, I say it again because I'm, I'm predominantly in a room full of Christians where we're like, I really haven't murdered anybody today. This is great. 
But how is your relationship with God? And is it, and I'm talking to Christians who have been Christians for 75 years and who have been Christians for one month. We can always have a better relationship with God and more clarity and be able to hear from God more. How is your, how is your unity and your communion with God? And if you think it could be better, I want you to look at your heart and say, what can I make room for? Um, have you ever tried to diet? I know we're in January, and we often talk about New Year's resolutions. Um, this is not a New Year's resolution. This was actually like a mid-November like awakening of, you know, this Halloween candy drawer really has to go, or this is going to be destructive to um, my health. And I decided it is time to stop eating my kids' Halloween candy. Any parents in the house, right? And we have, like, strict rules for our kids. We're mean parents. We're so, right, Miles? I'm sorry. Most kids are like, eat it all in one night. Puke. Get it over with. And we were like, you can have three tonight. And tomorrow, you can have two because you had three yesterday. Like, that's the way we're raised. Now, you know, it's gotten a little better. Now we're like, you know what? If you want to puke and it's gone, this is actually better for us. But, like, our Halloween candy, it would last all year. But guess who knew where the Halloween candy drawer was? I did. And the thing is, is so I decided I'm not going to eat any more Halloween candy. But who hid the Halloween candy? Right? I knew where it was. And so I, the problem was that if I got hungry at a certain time, I knew where it was. Because I didn't get organized. And I have realized that if I want to make a change in my life, I need to make new, make new habits. I need to get organized. I need to make some good treats that don't taste just like sawdust and, and spinach, right? right? Nobody, does anybody want to eat that? No, no, not at all. See, I need to have something like some extra salted nuts, you know, or something that would like fill me up and like be tasteful, but was just not sugar. And I would need to like like get organized. I had to make these snacks for myself. I had to be intentional. Um, and then I needed even to say to chat and it wasn't good because then like if, if he was in a weak moment, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll have one too. Or if he was in a moke moment, well, if you're going to have one, then I guess I can have one, but you have to be staying strong together. So you got to have an accountability partner. And, but you, the main key was I had to have something to refill my life with because, um, Human beings don't really like hard. We like, we're McDonald's, you know? We like quick, easy, like don't make me stand and make like good, healthy almond and stevia-based muffins because like in 40 minutes when they are done, I've already eaten all of the Halloween candy, right? So they need to be like made in advance. I need to have stuff set in place so that I can do this. Um, and so I think of the same thing in our lives, that if we want to make a change in our lives and we have seen our heart and you're like this isn't looking good and we need to clear a pathway not only do you know what some of those things are that you need to get rid of satan does too and so it takes intentionality but the good news is that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it and if you partner with him you can do it so here's your homework write down things that god might be asking you to get rid of in your life you need to see it you need to write it down. You need to have it in the forefront of your mind. And then you need to find scripture verses 
that combat that and memorize that. You need to get accountability plan. You need to, or accountability, you need to make a plan, but most importantly, you need to refill your life with God. Here's what happens, is people try to get rid of stuff, but they are not disciplined enough and intentional enough to fill your life back with God, and they wonder how they end up on their backs again, hopeless. Here's what Matthew 12 to 43 says. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and it takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And in the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. And this is the way it will also be in an evil generation. And I believe that that's why people don't move forward. And so can we, in this next uh, several months, and especially dealing with this, and before we get into the um, uh, Hearing God seminar next week, let's make a plan that I'm going to become, and actually that's what Hearing God Seminar is going to do for us. It's going to help us make that plan. And so if I can encourage you to go to that, you need to go to that. But this week, let's clear the pathway and say, God, I want to make room for you. I want to make room to hear you more. Um, and for all those people who are still just caught up in some of their past stuff, I want to end with one story. And it goes so well with what Pastor Chad had said before. I'm going to go back to my bike stories and as I close. Um, I think the most memorable moment with my bike was a season in Etobicoke when I lived there. And I was working at Queensway Cathedral, and I had to bike to work every day. And it was great exercise. I was enjoying it. I didn't necessarily want to do it, but I was biking. And if anybody knows me really well, I do everything really fast. I'm like... You know, I'm not sure if I'm ADD or just like supercharged or I'm not sure, but I just do everything fast. And so I'm biking fast and, you know, I'm looking both ways. I don't see any vehicles and I go across the road in Etobicoke and out of nowhere, this truck, you know, cuts me off and I fly over the handlebars and um, land on the bike. And so I'm just mortified because the streets are busy, right? And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I like hop right back up. I get my bike and I start running. And, you know, I'm like, I got two more, two more streets to get to the church. Let's just keep going. And it took me like one more block to realize that I had like blood pouring down my legs and pouring down, you know, my arms. And I was just a big, hot mess. And so I made it into the church, cleaned myself up. But the thing is, is I had a coat on. And it was like tattooed with the, the oil and the grease from the, um, from the gear. So here on my coat was this great big gear. You literally could see the imprint of everything. And I wore that for 10 years. I don't even know why I wore that for 10 years. It's like I didn't think I could afford another coat. Because, you know, you can go to Goodwill and you can buy a coat for five dollars really but no I kept wearing this one and one day I was like why am I wearing this coat anymore and I threw it out and I went to the store and I bought myself a new one that I wanted like because I thought you know what I, I deserve to wear a new coat and what I want to say to you or ask you is how many of you 
are wearing 10 years of shame? What, what would your coat look like? And are you wearing that as an identity? And do you need to take that off? Because God wants to give you a new coat with a new identity. And he wants to have a relationship with you. So let's, let's just close in prayer today. Father God, for everybody in this room that is wearing a coat of shame, I just pray that right now by your spirit, that you would reveal your love and your grace and that you cover over that. And not only covering over that, you want to give them a new identity. You want to put them on, on them a new jacket that says forgiven, free, warrior. So, uh, you want to put on them the identity that they are an overcomer and, a, and victorious. And so, God, I just pray that even this week, as we clear those things out of our lives, help us shine your light on us. Help us to see those things that need to change. But, God, I pray that as we do, we take on the identity of forgiven. We take on a new identity in you. And, God, you clear the pathway so that we can hear from you and we can have a, the relationship that you have designed for us to have in your name. Amen. Amen. So have a wonderful week and um, we see you next week. And we really hope that you sign up for the Hearing God Seminar too. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 